Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. And it is good to be with you today. Thank you, Lynn, for leading us in that time of prayer. Thank you to our worship team for leading us in that time of music. And I want to, just before we get into God's word, and in a couple of minutes, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. And I apologize. I usually look up the, the, the page number in those black chair Bibles that you have in front of you. So maybe if someone finds 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you could shout out the number for us in just a second here. Maybe this could be a big contest here. We used to have sword drills when I was a kid. It's like a sword drill. 952, Thomas. You win, you win, I don't know, 10 Bible bucks or whatever we're giving out today. Some candy. There's some mints in the back. Give Thomas some mints. 9.52 is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be there in a moment. But I have a couple of announcements, uh, things really in the life of the community to mention. And so I want to do that uh, briefly here before we get into that. So a couple of things that I want to I wanna talk about. One is I want to talk about uh, what I just dealt with, which are these, this right here, and it's already around my pen too. Uh, so a number of you have asked the question as to what we're going to do here at, at this congregation, because as you may know, some state regulations change this week. Uh, many things will change for our kids this week and their schools, depending on what town you live in. Uh, Belmont, as, as far as I know, and if someone, someone correct me if I'm wrong, Belmont's made no shift to their mask mandate. And our uh, posture the entire time is that we are going to honor our local uh, government and authorities and what they ask us to do. And so I know that there's a lot of feelings around that. And I'm certainly open to dialogue around that. So I'd love to uh, talk with you if you have thoughts on that. But that's going to be our posture moving forward. I don't know when they might make a change here in, in the town of Belmont, but I don't know of one yet. So until they make that change, we're going to continue to honor that uh, as we gather on Sunday mornings. I do think, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I didn't want to uh, talk too much here, but I do think that there's some measure of, of, witness here to the people in our community and around us uh, in the way that we, that we handle this. And I want to be careful in that. But like I said, I'm definitely open up to dialogue. I want to mention one other thing uh, that's, that's happening this morning in the life of the community. And we have, to, we have to be a little bit quiet on this, but we have a first time guest in our congregation this morning. That's Felipe Kenze is here. First time. He's, uh, how old is he? Is Felipe now? Two months old. He's two months old and he is here. So that is Marcelo and Lucy's fourth baby there. So pray for them. And, uh, and also, I appreciate all your efforts to grow the church. You're really, you're, you're really going above and beyond. So thank you for that. But congratulations. And, uh, and what a blessing he is. Uh, a couple of other things to mention. One is, did some of you... Um, know this, but some of you, are, I, I realize, are finding out for the first time this morning, I learned, today is actually Mary Bassler. If you know Mary Bassler, she's been our office administrator at the church for the last 22 years. She's, she's held that position for a while. Today is her last Sunday with us at Mount Hope. And so her and her family attend in the Burlington location, but they are moving to South Carolina. Uh, and Mary is headed there this week, uh, and it's hard to blame them if you look at the weather app on your phone right now in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, where it's about 80 degrees today. And so they are headed down that way. But Mary, over the last 22 years, has been such an important part of our church and has ministered to you uh, in so many different ways. There have been so many times, uh, I'm just going to be, can I be really honest with you? There's been so many times that you've come up to me and thanked me for something the church has done. And I got to be honest with you, 
Mary did it, and I'm so grateful that Mary did it. And when you come up and say, thank you for the gift basket, thank you for the card, and I say, you are so welcome, I go back to Mary and I say, Mary, what exactly did we, did we do? <laughs> and thank you so much for doing it. Uh, and all those anniversary cards and birthday cards that you get from me, Mary has a nice little stack for me every Monday on my desk. And so uh, we're certainly going to miss Mary for many, many reasons, most of all because they're friends. And, and brothers and sisters in Christ, their family. Now, here's the thing. If you were here two weeks ago, Pastor Andy Stanley, I heard him say once, what's exceptional one day is expected the next. And we're all about to find that out right now. Two weeks ago, it was Pastor Rick's 15th anniversary. And I had this great spontaneous idea, I thought, that we would take a video and we would all say, thank you, Pastor Rick, and cheer. And then I'd send the video to Burlington and they'd play it in the second service. Well, guess what? That was a massive success, apparently. Apparently, that was like the greatest thing that happened in a service in Burlington in years. All right, so I have some questions about what they're doing over there, but that's a different thing. So here's the deal. The deal is, this morning, I look at my phone, and I have multiple messages saying, you're doing a video for Mary, right? So we are doing a video for Mary, because if we don't, uh, our stock in the Mount Hope world is going to plummet, all right? Uh, so let's, let's do this. Can we just say thank you, Mary, and then cheer uh, as, a, as a group? And I'll, I'll video that, and I'll text it over, and then we'll, we'll check all our boxes and cover all our bases, all right? So we'll say just thank you, Mary, and we'll cheer, all right? So let's practice. One, two, three. Thank you, Mary. All right. It's like our, our congregation was born to do this. All right. This is our gift right here, making these, these videos. We'll start doing this every week. All right. It's always hard to get everyone. All right. Here we go. Ready? I'll, I'll count us down. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you so much, Mary, for the past 22 years. We love you, and we look forward to all God is going to do in your life as you move. God bless you. All right. One take. Unbelievable. Listen, if I ever tell you not to text during church, you can remember this moment. All right. There we go. Um, still more announcements couple of things to mention. One, I want to mention we're migrating to a new church app. And so there's going to be a QR code on the screen. I'd actually invite you to download this app right now because I'm going to bring it up again towards the end of the sermon. But the app that we've been using, uh, this one, it's just much better. And it also saves us money as a church. That's, that's what, I'll, what I'll say in the short version. Uh, but if you want to, we're going to keep both active for a couple of months. Uh, but this one interacts with our church management software much better uh, and, and will we'll be good. So we're going to do that in a minute. Uh, good thing I modeled using your phone in church so that you all can do it right now. Uh, the, the, the last thing that I'll, I'll mention is, I see the Carvalho family is here. And I know last Sunday, we talked about the fact that Marie's father, Pastor Sam Bambara, grandfather, father-in-law, uh, God called him home a little over a week ago. And so I do want to mention, uh, you know, we're praying for you. We love your family, Carvalho family, and praying for you and your extended family as you walk through this, especially for you, Marie. 
And tomorrow there's a wake from 3 to 7. Uh, and Tuesday morning there's a funeral service. And I know that there's actually a number of people in the room that are, that are connected to Pastor Sam Bambara, Dr. Reverend Sam Bambara, uh, because of his longstanding ministry in our area. And I'm certainly thankful for that. So I want to make sure I mention that for those of you that are connected to him and his ministry and to support the Carvalho family. So Tuesday morning, is it at 10 a.m., the service time? And both the wake and the service are at Christ Revolution Church in Lexington, uh, Mass. When Pastor Sam was there, it was St. Paul's Evangelical Church. You may know it as. Uh, but both the wake tomorrow and the service on Tuesday will be there. We're going to go ahead and get into God's word together this morning. And I really think that God has something unique for us as a community as we open up his word. And something that I want us to think about over the past couple of weeks, we have been in a series around the person of Abraham and the origin of faith. And we're going to get back to that next week. But this week, we're going to pause and we're going to talk about something that I don't really ever remember being talked about much at Mount Hope in all my 17 years of attending here and being on staff. There's something that's happening and it begins this Wednesday in the life of the church that I really don't think we have ever talked. I can't come up with the time that I remember, and I might be wrong here, us ever talking about it. I know that since we planted this congregation over six years ago, this is something that we have not talked about, even though it happens in the life of the church at large every single year. So this Wednesday begins a season in the life of the church that lasts for 46 days. Does anyone know what it's called? Lent. You know it. Uh, a number of you know what's happening. And you know, it's funny. It's not mentioned much uh, at our church, but we're going to talk about it this year. In fact, we're not just going to talk about it this morning. We're actually, as a community, I'm going to encourage us as a community to participate together in Lent in a couple different ways over the next few weeks. And for some of you, that might seem a little odd that we would do that because in our tradition, we don't talk about it much, especially in the charismatic Pentecostal tradition. Certainly, we don't talk about things like Lent that often. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a Christian family, but I grew up in a tradition where we, we didn't celebrate Lent. Uh, in fact, I didn't really think about it that much. The only reason I knew it was Lent is three things would happen. My friends would show up to school all of a sudden with uh, marks on their foreheads. Uh, they would serve a fish patty on bun on Fridays for a few weeks. And uh, people would complain that they couldn't drink soda for a couple of weeks. That's how I knew it was Lent. But my church never mentioned it. My family never mentioned it. And for some of you, for some of you, though, it's different. Some of you grew up and this was a big part of your interaction with faith and with Christianity. And some of you have, have uh, decided to leave that behind. It was a part of your life that was, that was maybe built around tradition, or you feel like you've moved on from a certain understanding of, of the faith, and so you've, you've left Lent and its practices behind in your life. That's some of us in the room. Others of you in the room, you're actually glad that we're talking about this. Because even though you've been attending a church that doesn't talk about the liturgical calendar and the traditional historical church calendar and practices like Lent that often... You love, you, you love it. It's life-giving for you. This is something that you do every single year. And so we're going to talk about this 
uh, this morning because I really believe that God is calling us as a community to participate. And I want to tell you why today. Over the last couple of months, I've been reading through a book. Uh, and you know, you know my, if you've been around for a while, you know my feeling on book recommendations. If you want to know what books to read, stop Googling and just find Gene and Lynn Breitenbach and ask them what books to read and they'll tell you. So uh, the book I'm reading right now was actually not a Gene pick this time. It was a Lynn pick. All right. And so Lynn gave me this book called Crucifixion by Fleming Rutledge. And you gave it to me a couple years ago. I'm reading it now. I'm reading it now. And here's, here's one of the things that, that Fleming Rutledge brings up in her book, which is fantastic and long. <laughs> she says that so often in our Christian traditions, we spend time gazing at the manger. And we spend time gazing at the empty tomb. But we so often get through the cross. The cross becomes something that we don't gaze at the way we gaze at the empty tomb and celebrate the empty tomb. It's not something we gaze at the way that we gaze and focus on the manger and Christ coming and that entire season that we've built in the life of our churches, even churches like ours that aren't necessarily a liturgical in many ways. We, we build a season around looking at the manger, but so often we don't spend enough time looking at the cross. And she brought up something that I don't know that I had ever noticed before in the way the apostle Paul approached his teaching to the church. And when I see what she points out about how Paul approaches his teaching to the church, I can't help but ask myself whether or not we're making a mistake that the church in Corinth was making when Paul writes this letter. If you're not very familiar with the New Testament, many of the books of the New Testament are letters that the Apostle Paul, who traveled around planting churches, wrote back to the churches that he planted. And this book of 1 Corinthians is one of those letters where Paul is writing back to a church in Corinth and the church in Corinth is making a mistake. And the big mistakes that they're making are around how they love one another and how they love the world around them. And Paul comes to them in his letter and says, here's the thing. You're getting love wrong because your focus is in the wrong place. And Paul reminds them at the very beginning of, the, of this letter where his focus is when he approaches Christ, when he preaches. And he actually says in this letter that there are places where other people have their focus. And I want you, as we read these verses, to ask yourself, when you come into church or in your relationship to God, where is your focus? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, this is what Paul writes. For Jews demand signs and the Greeks or the Gentiles, your Bible might say, seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. Paul says a lot of significance in those few verses. So I want us to pause and just think about it for a moment. Paul says some groups of people come and what they want from God in order to have relationship from him is they want a sign. They want the miracle. They want the the empty tomb. They want the extraordinary. Some people come and they want the wisdom. They want to know how to live life, how to live it better, how to live it smarter. But Paul is saying, if you really want to know God, if you really want to know who the true God is, then you don't look for the sign first and you don't just seek after the wisdom. You have to know Christ crucified because Christ on the cross is the linchpin of it all. And what Paul is saying is it's almost like, it's almost like glasses that you would put on. If you're looking for the sign and you're looking for wisdom, but you don't have the glasses of the crucifixion on, you're not going to see clearly, Paul is saying. You're going to seek out wisdom and you're going to see signs, but you're not going to understand any of that unless you put on these glasses of the crucifixion and you see all of those things through the knowledge that God is the kind of God that when he desires relationship with you and me, takes our punishment on his shoulders, is willing to spill his blood and be mocked and ridiculed and ultimately die so that you and I might have relationship with him. And Paul says to the church, the reason you're not loving each other correctly and the reason you're not loving other people correctly, which is the purpose of this letter. If you read the whole letter, he comes back to that over and over again. That's why you have 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter in this book is that Paul is coming back and saying, the reason you don't love others correctly and the reason you don't love each other correctly is because you don't understand God's love through the cross. You think this is about signs and wisdom, but it's really about suffering and sacrifice and giving. And so Paul says this, look at what he says at the beginning of chapter two, just two more verses here. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. How much do we want that in our world today? For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Just think about that with me for a moment. What major speaker and preacher could we look at today and say, when I listen to that person, they know Christ and they know him crucified. I mean, there's probably an answer there, but that's not the first thing. The people that I like to listen to, the people I go to to understand more about God, I don't know that that's what, how I would categorize their preaching and their message. And I'm challenged by that. What are my own preaching and messages? 
Paul says, I, I would expect him to, to finish that sentence so many other ways. When I was among you, I came and I knew nothing about Jesus, but him and his miracles. I knew nothing about Jesus, but him and his parables. I knew nothing about Jesus, but him and his resurrection from the dead. But Paul says none of those things. In fact, he says to the, to the church in Corinth and to you and to me, I know nothing about Christ except for him and him crucified. And so I think it's important that you and I have a rhythm and routine in our lives that causes us to stare at Jesus crucified. And I'm more convinced about that than ever before right now. And that's what the season of Lent is for. You know, I have to be honest with you. I have grown up and gone to seminary and spent many years in church and not really understood a lot about this period. And I know that there's a sense in which some of us might say, well, that's a Catholic thing. But long before it was a Catholic thing, it was a church thing. And the church councils in 325 AD in Nicaea, they're talking about this practice long before the church looked the way that it looks today. And some of the original church fathers, they're called, the people that, that lived and wrote in the second and third century, they talk about this practice of preparing yourself to be ready for the Easter celebration. And so the way it's kind of found itself in our modern context is that there's 46 days between uh, Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And it's 40 days of fasting, 40 days of almsgiving, which is giving to the poor or serving other people, and 40 days of prayer altogether, 40 days of fasting and almsgiving and prayer. So what about the other six? I actually found this out just a couple of weeks ago. We had a call. Uh, we have our preaching team meeting every Tuesday and we invited in some people that, that we know either grew up celebrating Lent and some people that are in the room here were on that call with us that either grew up celebrating Lent or still celebrate this practice, even though they're a part of our church and we don't really promote it. And one of the things that came out in that time was, was that these extra six days are there because those days are the Sundays. And Sunday is the day that we gather as Christians and worship the risen Christ. And so on those days, there isn't the fasting that takes place on the other 40 days. There is celebration and worship because Christ did not stay on that cross. He died and was raised again. And the more I understand about the depth of the practice, the more I appreciate it. Because can I be honest with you? I always thought it was like a second New Year's resolution. I thought you made a New Year's resolution on January 1st to not do something for 365 days. You failed at it by January 3rd, by January 3rd or January 10th or something. And then Lent rolled around and you were like, well, let me give it another go for 40 days. Right? And I'll try it again. But that's really not what it's intended to be. And I'm sorry that I didn't understand it more fully. It is this opportunity to do what Paul is talking about, to stare at the cross and see Christ. And I can't help but wonder if we're making a similar mistake to the church in Corinth. Will we come seeking the sign? 
for God to do something in our lives. We come seeking the wisdom, but we gloss right over Jesus hanging on the cross for our sin. And it's so important. It's so important for a couple of reasons. One, because it reminds us of the, of the seriousness of our sin and our walking away from God and all that God did on our behalf and his love and grace and mercy to pay that price. It also reminds us that, that it is not over, that the work is not finished, that yes, Christ is raised from the dead, but that gives us hope. But he is also the suffering servant that hangs on the cross. And so then when we live in a world where some of you are sitting in this congregation today as refugees from your own countries, when we're living in a world like that, some of you have been treated unfairly this week. Some of you are going through all sorts of hardship. We're watching the headlines as one nation invades another. And if we were to dig deeper within the headlines, we would see all sorts of turmoil in nations around our world. And with all of those things happening, seeing the suffering servant on the cross, that our God came and suffered and died for us is a powerful thing. So that as the book of Hebrews says, whatever you're walking through, our God understands it. He's there in the suffering. So often we want to jump to the resurrection and celebrate the victory. But to keep us focused on where God wants us focused, we need rhythms and routines in our life that do that. I recently uh, was driving the other day and I, I heard the lyrics to a song that we sing here in our church and that I've sung and, and I really enjoyed. And it's a popular worship song by Elevation Worship. And this one lyric just hit me as I was thinking about and praying about this message where it says, Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. And I've always, wondered, I've always enjoyed that line, but preparing this message kind of ruined it for me. Because Friday is not a disappointment. I understand that people were disappointed. Like I get the meaning. The apostles were, the disciples were disappointed. They were, they were, they were kind of shocked by what happened in Jesus dying. But nowhere in scripture would the, would the death of our savior on the cross that pays the price for our sins ever be described as a disappointment. In fact, that's the thing. That's the grace. That's the mercy. That's the glory of our God. And we need rhythms and routines in our life that keep us focused, no matter how long we've been believers. It struck me, I, a little known fact about me. I, I played the violin for five years growing up and I quit in ninth grade and my parents celebrated. <laughs> but when I, was, when I was playing the violin, uh, we would have our middle school orchestra concerts, which I'm sure were phenomenal. And we would, we would all sit in the, on the stage and the first chair of violin would come out and we would all tune to, to, that, to the first chair violin, well, as best as middle schoolers can, we would try to tune our instruments to that first chair. And then we would just warm up and we would practice the same scales that we, we did in practice. And I remember when I was in middle school, my dad got me tickets, got us all tickets, our family, to see a violinist named Itzhak Perlman was in Omaha uh, playing with the Omaha Symphony. And he was at that point, and maybe he still is, renowned as the best violinist in the world. And so his career had really taken off. He finally made it to Omaha, Nebraska. And, and, and we had a chance to go see him. 
So we all got there and we sat in, in the audience. And do you know what happened? All these professional musicians came out. And the first chair violinist sat down. And they all tuned their instruments to the first chair violinist. And then they started to warm up. And they played the exact same scales. And if you were in choir in high school or in middle school and you sang all of those things that you warmed up with, all the thirds and fifths and everything else that you did, if we walked backstage at Broadway right now, we'd hear the same thing. My daughter and my son both play basketball. In fact, my son's uh, little season ended yesterday. And before their games begin, Jackson's seven and Caitlin's 10, they line up in two lines. And one line dribbles up and does a layup. The other line rebounds the ball and passes it to the next person. Do you know what happens when I go to the Celtics games? They line up in two lines. And some of them dunk it, but they go up and they lay it up and they rebound it and they pass it to the next person. Because no matter how good you get and no matter how professional you are, you still need rhythms and routines in your life that keep you focused. And boy, I could use a rhythm and routine in my life that keeps me focused on the cross. I've got rhythms and routines for the manger and I've got them for the empty tomb. But this is our opportunity to come together and do this for the cross because most of us live with an obstructed view of the cross. You ever sat and gotten a ticket to an event and on your ticket it says there, obstructed view? And you go and the game's in front of you, but there, so is the support beam or the wall or the pole or whatever is blocking some of your view. And so you're kind of trying to Look around and see exactly what's happening. Here's my big question for you this morning. Where right now in your life do you live with an obstructed view of the cross? And that opportunity to gaze upon our Savior paying the punishment for our sin. This period of Lent involves fasting and giving and praying. I mistook that for second New Year's resolutions. Sometimes we mistake that as opportunities to earn our salvation, impress God in some way, make our lives better, get off that chocolate that we have needed to quit for a while. But that's not the goal of the process. It never was. The goal of the process is focus. And the way I would say it is that we give something up, we give something over, and we give to. So if you want to get rid of an instruction in your view of the cross, here's an opportunity to take these next few weeks and to give something up, to fast from something so that you can give that time over to the Lord and focus on him and who he is, and so that you can give to other people people. So one of the gentlemen on our preaching call who comes to Mount Hope, but still would describe himself as, as Catholic and, is, and, and this practice of Lent has been very meaningful to him. He said, my goal isn't to give up coffee so that I make myself a better person. If I feel like God is calling me to fast coffee for Lent, I fast coffee and then I take the time that I would have drank that coffee and I spend it in prayer and, and, and time with the Lord. I take the money that I would have spent on that coffee and I give it to someone who needs it more than I do. 
I thought that was such a helpful explanation because so many of us would just stop at the first one. All right, I'm done with, I'm done with chocolate for 40 days. No, okay, so take that time that you would have normally spent and pray. Take the money that you would have spent and give. I love that picture. So how do you decide what to give up so that you can give over and give to? Here's three questions I'll ask you to think about right now. What in your life, these are the kinds of things that could be creating an obstruction of the cross for you. What in your life are you overly dependent on right now? What has a unique grip on your mind, body, or soul? One woman on our call a couple of weeks ago, she said, on Lent, I, I give up Facebook and I don't like to do it. It's how I see all my family that lives around the world. But I know it has a unique grip on my mind. And so I give that up and I spend that time with the Lord. I thought that was a great example too. What has a unique grip on your mind, body, or soul? And this final one, what do you feel like God's calling you to do? It's not just a question of how can I be better for the next few weeks? How can I impress God and other people for the next few weeks? But where is there an obstruction in my life that would take my focus off the cross and Christ crucified? And what decision could I make over the next 40 days, 46 days to be exact, where that could be placed to the side so that I could focus on him? Our ushers are going to come and they're going to pass two things out to you right now. One is, I'd love for everyone to take. One is there's this devotional that Christianity Today has put out. And it's a Lenten devotional. And it goes through scripture. And it also goes through famous Easter hymns. And every day there's a little thought that's written about scripture and one of those hymns. And if you're here this morning and you will take a look at this, I'd love for you to do this because here's one of the things we're going to do as a community to try to get our eyes on the cross. Is not only to take something like this and to start it this Wednesday and to read it together, but also we've formed some groups and we're starting to form some groups of people that will get together just through the Lenten period and talk through the devotionals. So do you remember that app that I saw so many of you scanning the QR code for? If you open that app and you search for your church and you find Mount Hope Belmont, at the very bottom, when you log in, there's a groups button. And if you hit that groups button, you will see Lent community groups. And already there are groups that are being formed that you could join right through that app. And some of them are virtual and some of them are in person and they're on different nights. And so if you check the app over the next couple of dates, more groups will be added to that space of people that are going to gather and talk through and pray through what they're reading in this devotional. So that's one thing that we're going to do as a community so that we can Keep our eyes focused on the cross and take down some of those obstructions. Here's the other thing I'd like us, for us to do right now as we close our time together. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. I'm going to invite our same ushers, if they would, to pass out the elements of communion. And we're going to close our time together.
in communion. You know, if you've been with us over the past few months, I'm going to say something that you've probably heard me say previously. Over the past couple of years, one of the questions that I feel like God has been impressing on my heart and I've been asking over and over again is how is it that we maintain our faith and build disciples in a, in a world and in a culture around us that is increasingly walking away from the Lord? I don't know if it's just as you, as you get older, you feel this way, or if it's a unique point in our history. Maybe it's a little bit of both in my life. But this has been the question over and over again. How do we continue to make disciples? How do we continue to live out the faith when the world around us is becoming increasingly secular? And you know, as I've read books from other nations, writers from other time periods, the thing that keeps coming up over and over and over again is practice the rhythms and routines that are uniquely Christian. That as the world walks away, don't chase the world to try and, and become more like them, but rather in your gatherings, go and find ways to love the world outside the gathering, but in your gatherings, practice the things that are uniquely Christian. It's a big part of the reason why I think participating in Lent as it's meant to be participated in is important for us. That's part of the reason that if you've been around with us since last November, we've taken communion together many more times than we normally have. Because we need to practice these things and be reminded of who we are in Christ. Jesus gave us one thing to remember him by. And I don't know that this has ever hit me before the way it hit me this week. The way we practically live out our faith, so often in, in our context, by our, I mean this the Pentecostal Protestant context, is as if Jesus had said, I want you to gaze at the empty tomb and do it in remembrance of me. But he didn't say that. He had a meal with his disciples and he picked up bread and wine that were on the table. And he said, when you remember me, this is what I want you to remember about me. I gave my body for you. I shed my blood for you. And every time you gather, just remember that. So right now in this moment, even as we think about doing it over the next 40 days, we're going to remember our crucified Christ. The prophet Isaiah says it this way, talking about the Messiah that was to come. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. It reminds us that in the end, God wins and he has power and victory over death. And there isn't a thing that's happening in your life today that God isn't bigger and stronger and more powerful than then. But how are you healed? How are you forgiven? How, is your, how are your sins forgiven? How is the slate wiped clean? Through the cross. Through the cross. So God, we come before you today thanking you for the love and the grace and the mercy that you poured out on our behalf. We did not deserve it. We cannot earn it, Lord, but you have given so freely of yourself. So we worship you and we thank you and we remember today. To that church in Corinth, Paul says that he's passed on to them what he has received, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread that was on the table during a meal with his disciples and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. Then after that meal, Paul tells us, and we can read in the Gospels, that Jesus took the cup from the table and he said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. Thank you, Lord. You are good to us.